Welcome to episode two of the Page Two Podcast. In today's episode, we talk to Zach Chahalis, a senior technical SEO manager at Search Discovery. We learn how Zach got into the SEO industry, have some candid SEO conversations, share tips, tell stories, and then even go off script to talk personal life and pop culture. So get your popcorn and stay tuned for episode two. I'm your host, Jacob Stoops, and this is the Page Two Podcast. If you're looking for an SEO podcast where you get every trick in the book, this is not the podcast for you. In this podcast, we tell the personal stories of some of the industry's brightest minds. We discuss what life as an SEO is really like from an insider's perspective, swap stories about our greatest triumphs, failures, hopes, and frustrations, and we even go off script to talk about movies and pop culture. So sit back, relax, and enjoy some candid SEO conversations. Welcome to episode two of the Page Two Podcast. I'm your host, Jacob Stoops. You can find me on Twitter at Jacob Stoops. You can find me on LinkedIn, or you can look at my personal website for the Page Two Podcast, which is jacobstoops.com forward slash page two podcast. Before we bring Zach on, I wanted to talk a little bit about why I'm doing this podcast. First, while it's technically episode two, this is the first episode using what will be kind of the standard format, which will consist of three segments. First segment is the life, uh, second segment making your bones, and the last segment is getting made. And I'll kind of explain that in a little bit. But I also wanted to talk about why I decided to do a podcast in the first place, right? The Uh, The market is full of people trying to do podcasts, and there are uh, just a bunch of voices, right, fighting to be heard. So what's another podcast? How is this going to make a difference? And for me, SEO is something that I'm super passionate about, and and that passion is something that I've wanted to share. Uh, And there are plenty of good SEO podcasts already out there. A lot of them focus on providing really helpful and actionable tips. And while I certainly want to provide that type of value, I really want to hone in on what it's actually like to be an SEO day-to-day, kind of the real life of an SEO. And I don't necessarily know that there are a lot of podcasts uh, on SEO and marketing that kind of come at it from that angle in particular. Uh, I want to tell stories uh, specifically about the challenges and how real SEOs overcome them. Uh, And honestly, I want to relish in the victories, right? Uh, We SEOs, uh, sometimes victories can be few and far between, and I want to talk about that as well. I also want to tell stories of how people become SEOs, which is something that I'm endlessly fascinated by. Uh, While it's true that some people do come right out of college and get into SEO, honestly, I've found that the majority of SEOs come from all walks of life, and that's something I wanted to explore. I don't just want to talk to well-known SEOs, though I certainly will adventure to have some of them on uh, the Page 2 podcast. There are just so many great SEOs that you've never heard of, and I want to tell their stories too. And lastly, just like with many other industries, there is a lot of stress and anxiety. Um, honestly, it's it's fairly pervasive uh, in the SEO industry, and I want to cover what it's like to be an SEO from a mental and emotional well-being standpoint, as well as talk about how to strike the balance of handling your business while still being happy, right? That's super, um, super important. 
So that's kind of some of the background. I really hope you enjoy what I'm planning to put together, not just in episode two here, but in future episodes. But without further ado, let's bring in Zach Chahalis. Part one, the life. What was your position? I was a soldier. What is that? It's a No, I don't. Okay, so we are on with uh, Zach Chahalis of Search Discovery. Full disclosure, Zach and I work together. Uh, Zach and I have uh, been working together for about three months now, and Zach uh, is well known around the office for being one of the brightest uh, SEO minds, also one of the youngest, but also from what I understand, and a very old soul, a uh, 60 year old trapped in a 27 year old's body. So I'm hoping that that, uh, that kind of comes out uh, in all seriousness though. One of the best, um, best young SEOs that I've worked with. So very happy to uh, have him on. So how's it going, Zach? Good, man. I appreciate the intro. Uh, doing good this evening. How about yourself? Doing great. Doing great. Nothing good. like uh, uh, doing a podcast uh, late on a Wednesday night after putting the kids to bed. <laughs> so, so Zach, so Zach, you're actually uh, my second guest. Um, the first guest was Rand Fishkin. So, no, no pressure, no pressure. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> All right. Um, and but the format, uh, you, you'll be the first guest following the the new format, and this is kind of the intended format. And I did the interview with Rand this summer while I was at Startups.co. Did not intend to start a podcast at that point in time. So you're kind of the trial run through this new format. And the format, because of my love of mafia movies, uh, is going to take on a little bit of a mob theme. So there will be there will be three segments. Segment one will be the life, right? Uh, everybody in the mob uh, seems to call it the life. Uh, second segment will be making your bones, right? In order to make your bones, you got to share some tips. Uh, and then the third segment will be getting made, right? In order to become a part, uh, a part of the Page 2 podcast family, uh, we got to get personal and we got to get deep on pop culture. So, so without further ado, let's talk about, uh, yeah, let's talk about the life. Yeah, sounds good. good. Here. Uh, so, so, Zach, uh, Tell us about your background, right? So this this particular segment is all about the story. I'm interested in understanding where SEOs come from, how they differ, um, how they got into SEO. People come from so many different backgrounds, and uh, I just find it fascinating. So how did you get into SEO? Yeah, you know, it's, it's interesting because I didn't necessarily, it wasn't a career plan for me to end up in SEO. Um, you know, growing up, my mom was in finance, more financial systems. My dad was in more traditional marketing, more print-based marketing. And um, when I went to college, uh, I was interested in kind of following both those paths because I saw both, I saw the benefits, I saw the negatives of both, but they both appealed to me in different ways. Um, so I kind of geared a little bit more towards the marketing side of things. That seemed to appeal a little bit more. And, you know, at the time, colleges, and they really still don't today, offer any courses around digital marketing. More of my training in college was around more of the traditional kind of approach, you know, the four Ps and, you know, marketing matrix and those types of things. Um, 
but at the time, you know, I was starting to look at some jobs. I saw some, some postings for jobs in the SEO industry and it looked interesting to me, but I wasn't quite sure what it was. And so I started kind of just digging into it and learning myself. I started looking at some forums, some good, some bad. Um, I started looking at a lot, a lot of news websites. I went through like the Moz 101 guide and we're talking around 2011 or so. Um, so, you know, I was a junior in college, actually not a sophomore in college at the time when I started running through that. And I also ran my own IT business at that time. So I was working very closely with some local area businesses around me where I was developing, um, you know, custom computer solutions for them, custom networking solutions. And one of my clients at the time, um, kind of asked like, Hey, you know, I know you're a marketing student. And right now my website's struggling to really perform. Is it, would it be possible for you to help me out and really identify why I'm not getting any traffic to my website? And again, with, with barely little information and training and experience in SEO, you know, I kind of took it as like, hey, I, I can go in and learn here. So I, I took that opportunity, um, basically started digging into the website a little bit while continuing to learn about SEO and realized very quickly the site was built in Flash. And yes. you know, 2011, <laughs> you know, you're dealing with search engines don't understand Flash. So if you looked at the did cache, they ever, version, right? did they ever understand no, Flash? Well, okay. No, they still don't. Yeah, I mean, you know, they're getting better with JavaScript, but really still not with Flash, which is fine because I'm not a fan of Flash. But you know, you look at the cache view of that page, and it was a great box. Um, there was there was nothing there. So you know, it helped me gain more experience in kind of some dev related stuff too, things that interested me and taking, you know, my IT background and learning a little bit of code. I built him a new website through WordPress and worked with a buddy of mine at the time and got him up and running and, you know, really good platform with SEO, fully optimized with, you know, with WordPress, you had a lot of opportunities out the gate and I enjoyed doing it. So I applied for an internship and had a good relationship with some recruiters in the area and struck up a really good relationship with a company called ResponseWine Interactive. And they brought me in for an interview for an SEO intern role. Um, so I ended up getting that position, worked with them in that role for about six months on their CPA side of the division. So these were websites that they created to drive leads for real clients. And after about six months, they, they kept me on, uh, transitioned into a junior manager role there. So this was while I was a junior in college. And really enjoyed doing it. So I stuck with it for a while and worked with them throughout college. So I was working about 40 hours a week while being a full-time student. And I was also an RA. And when I graduated Ooh. from college, yeah, <laughs> yeah, I was one of those guys. Um, but after college, you know, I stuck with, with ResponseMind for a little bit. Great company, really loved working with them, worked with some great clients. Um, but then, you know, I had some relationships at Search Discovery, where we are today. And started having some conversations with them. It just seemed like a really good fit for me at the time. So I've been with Search Discovery now since January of 2014. So I'm closing in on about five years in a couple months. So, yeah. so let me get this straight, right? So you started in 2011 at some point, right? Probably yep. not the full year. It's only 2018. That's yep. seven years of experience. I've been doing this for... 12 or 13 years and you are at least as good as if not better. I'm wondering how did you pack my 12 or 13 or four, you know, whatever years of experience in seven years? How did that happen? Explain that to me. 
You know, it, I think it's the great part of, of being with Search Discovery, to be fully honest, because when I was with Response Mind, I, I certainly learned a lot, but it's a lot of, I had to dig in and find things and answer a lot of questions. Not to say I'm not doing that here, but, you know, at the time, my mentor working there, um, you know, my boss at the time was only a couple years older than me and didn't have a ton more experience. So I'm coming, you know, out of a college role with, you know, at most a year or two of experience at that time, but learning from that person. So, you know, I did learn a lot there, but when I saw the opportunity with Search Discovery, I'm looking at the people I was working with at the time having, you know, 10 to 15 years of experience and just realizing that I can learn so much more because I'm the type of person that's always looking to, to learn and expand. And, you know, I spend my free time reading and trying to learn and, pick up new tactics that I can then apply and, and figure out later. So when I came here, I got a lot of opportunity to be put into more of those kind of pressure situations and get more of those bigger opportunities. I think I've done somewhere in the realm of 15 to 20 migrations or replatformings in the time that I've been here, uh, which really makes you learn very quickly, especially when you're talking about like an enterprise level replatforming with all the complications and, you know, half that comes with a project like that. So a lot of it's kind of trial by fire and just kind of staying with it and, and being dedicated to it. So speaking of pressure and pressure pack situations, um, every, every SEO has had this. Uh, tell me about an epic failure, kind of an oh shit moment. You know, it can be, it doesn't have to be with you. It might be with a client, eh, not a great experience. Yeah, I think one of the biggest problems that I've always kind of seen, and it's, and it's somewhat consistent, is, you know, when you work with a client that really doesn't understand SEO and you're going through those replatforming situations, the, the biggest thing that I've always seen is when they don't understand when to bring an SEO into the, the project or, you know, a new website, something like that, that it just goes off the rails. The amount of times I've been brought into a situation where, hey, we built a new website, it's launching by the end of the week, you know, can you take a look at it and let me know if it's good to go from an SEO standpoint. And, you know, I've been involved in, in SEO replatformings where I've been involved in day one, full year project, and it, you know, it goes great because everything gets implemented. But it's really tough to be put in that situation where like, hey, you've got like a week to figure this site out, it's fully built out, we're actually not gonna change anything even if you catch a problem. So, you know, hey, this is on you. Um, so I've definitely seen a couple of situations like that where, you know, definitely not the biggest fan of it. So I would call that a big fail in my honest opinion. How, um, how do the clients handle that when you come back to them with that response? You know, it, it, some take it well, some don't take it very well. It's really in the art of delivering that kind of message, but it's also setting the proper expectations with a client too. Um, because that's the thing is, you know, having dealt with this long enough and, you know, kind of the great thing with, with SDI and being here for a while is, you know, we haven't always had a client service team. So typically I am the person developing the strategy, the person doing the work, and the person communicating with the client. So you gain, you gain the ability very quickly to realize how to talk to different people and adapt your style so that they understand. Normally it's not a very pleasant conversation to say, hey, you know, you built this entire site without SEO in mind and it's got major flaws and accessibility problems and you're gonna tank off. You know, it's normally not very well received obviously because they invest a lot of money in this website. And, you know, one of the big examples I've seen, I worked with a site that built the entire thing in Angular. Um, at the time, Angular 1. 
which doesn't have pre-rendering in place. Mm. So, it, you know, it's tough to go back to a client and say, hey, Google can't understand your website because as far as they're concerned, you don't have URLs and you have one page. Um, that, that's not very well received. So explain, uh, so explain, that, explain that a little bit, Angular and pre-rendering. Yeah. Tell, tell, me, tell me a little bit about that because if you're not tech focused and you're not understanding technical SEO, explain how awesome JavaScript used to be as it relates to SEO and, and, and where it's going right now. Yeah, definitely. So, you know, historically search engines have always really struggled with understanding JavaScript. Um, for the longest time, they didn't understand it at all. Anything that was executed through JavaScript or Ajax typically just wasn't even seen by search engines. Uh, Google's getting a little bit better with it. Bing really isn't. Bing doesn't understand the JavaScript execution at all. But the, the thing is now a lot of developers are building sites in JavaScript-based frameworks. So that would be, you know, your AngularJS, your Node.js, your Ember.js type React. of situations. Yeah, and React. And, you know, the thing is search engines still don't really understand that JavaScript. And the concept of pre-rendering is essentially taking the JavaScript website and all the, all the JavaScript that needs to be fired, but essentially pre-rendering it on the server and then serving the search engines the version that's executed after the JavaScript fires. So the search engines see all the content that is on the site after the JavaScript is executed. And when it's done properly, it makes it so that you know, a JavaScript framework website is still fully crawlable and accessible. The problem is some of these platforms have it included by default, some of them don't. Angular 1 did not have that by default. And you either had to build a custom solution or you had to go with a third-party solution that was already built out, like a pre-render.io, for example, um, where you still have to make some changes to the code to get in place, but at least you make sure that your site's accessible. Man, look at Zach, dropping the knowledge. We're supposed to be talking about your story, Zach, and I'm asking all these questions about uh, pre-rendering and React and whatever. Um, so let's get back. I want to I, I yeah. learn more about you. So big success. Tell me, t talk about a time where you had a great success. Tell me how you made it feel. Yeah, you know, there, there are two how that come to mind. I can't talk. <laughs> Tell me how yeah, it made say, you feel. <laughs> I'd say there are two that kind of came to mind. So... Um, you know, like I mentioned earlier on, I've done a lot of replatforming and migrations. I've seen them go very well when everything's being, you know, done to the to write up. And when you do that, it is a really pleasant experience because when the migration goes live and you've done all of your redirects correctly and all of your content there, it, it, you know, you have structured data, you have um, all of your optimizations in place, the site's fully accessible. It's a really enlightening but fun experience because normally when you do a migration or replatforming you're changing URLs and really changing the architecture of a website you typically see a drop in performance and visibility in the first let's say month or two sometimes longer depending on the website that you're working with and when things are done right you can sometimes avoid that drop maybe not entirely but it will smooth out the drop a little bit more so and I recently worked with a migration for one of our clients here at Search Discovery where a lot of things were done right. And they went from a website that was very unoptimized to a fully optimized website where we were involved in from the beginning. You know, we now have structured data. We're now mobile friendly. We now have optimized metadata. 
We now have pagination and canonicalization. And we didn't see that drop. And if anything, we've only seen it go up from there. Our rankings have gone up. Total number of keywords we're ranking for are up about 15%. Um, year over year organic traffic is up in 20%. We're talking about three months after the migrations got live. And revenue trailing from that because the site is more user friendly is up about 30% with the conversion rate up through the roof. So it's really nice to see the fruits of your labor and something that makes me truly happy to see, you know, hey, I, I did all this, I did all these recommendations, I worked so well with the developer and the client, and now we're really seeing the benefits of that. Um, you know, the other thing is being able to catch a problem quickly, because the problem with working in SEO is you're often working with a third-party developer or an in-house developer, and very infrequently are you the one that's actually doing the dev work. And so many times, I've been focused on trying to, to avoid that as much as possible. So, you know, one of the big initiatives of search discovery that I was part of along with a couple other folks was developing the concept of checklists. When a site goes live, making sure we check certain things that they didn't change and bringing on tooling that we work with, you know, to basically double check a website, review the code and make sure that something hasn't dropped off or changed. Um, one of the big ones I saw was I developed or I added in some systems that would detect if a robots.txt file or a noindex tag changed on a website. And I remember this was maybe my first year of working here with a client that we had at the time. I was on a golf course and got a text message alert that a noindex tag was added site-wide. And you know, I was about to tee off on the 18th green. And you know, I get that text message. I immediately call the client, you know, call the other folks on the team because I'm on vacation at the time, let them know what's going on. And, you know, within 30 minutes, we had that no index tag problem resolved. If you leave that no index tag in place, you're looking how at much money. how much money did you just save them? Millions. millions, easily millions, because I mean, that's the thing is if you're this site was getting something in the realm of, you know, two to five million sessions a month. Mm -hmm. And, you know, if you suddenly no index that, you just lost two to five million sessions of organic traffic and all the revenue that comes along with it. Yep. Let alone yep. six months to, to 12 months of recovery time. I, um, I had a similar situation with a client where it was very, very similar. I, uh, uh, working with a client and they did a, a similar thing. A developer accidentally put a no index tag in the site wide uh, throughout the entire site. Um, didn't really have a good explanation why, but it happened. So these things sometimes sometimes happen if there aren't checks and balances. And luckily, um, I just happened to be crawling the site that day and noticed it and caught it maybe an hour or two hours after it was done. But for uh, for a site like that, millions of visitors, billions of dollars uh, coming through the organization, millions coming from SEO. Um, saved them millions of dollars. If that had been in place yeah. for any length of time, millions of dollars lost. Yep. So I always say part of an SEO's job, like th people think SEOs just grow traffic. No, we protect traffic as well. Very right. important. 100%. You know, and, and I'll tell you real quick how this problem happened because I feel like you'll get a kick out of this. <laughs> the way that they were developing their code is they had two sets of servers. And they would develop their code on a dev server while the website is on the production server. And when they decided to swap code, they would literally make the dev server the production server and they would make the production server into the dev server. So they would just cycle back and forth. 
The problem is no one had a check in place to remove the no index tag that was keeping the dev site blocked from search engines. So we also then worked with them to figure out like, how do you not do that again? Because otherwise it's just gonna be a repeating pattern. And, and this is an enterprise level company. So that just goes yeah. to show you that even companies that you think have their shit together, um, in a lot of cases, no, nope. It, nope. They're just regular guys and girls like you and me. So, so yeah, so no, so what's your typical day? look like you, you you come into the office or you work from home like what do you what do you do you know you're diving into clients tell walk me through your typical day what does it look like yeah I'm usually in the office um, you know I like to work with a couple of the other folks that are there I typically start my day by you know of course just looking at my calendar and see what I've got going on meeting wise that day normally I've prepped a couple of days ahead of time but the big thing is normally just starting off my day with looking at you know Google Analytics or Adobe Analytics for each client that we work with um, as well as things like Google Search Console and Bing Webmaster Tools and some of our alerting systems because the big thing I want to double check is, did something break? Um, do we have any performance problems? What are we seeing as you know, the latest performance trends out of the things that we've done? So it, it really just kind of sets the day off by fully understanding all the clients that we work with. Um, it's also kind of a practice I've been working with trying to get some of our junior folks to, to go through is just really understanding what's going on with their clients on a day-to-day -day basis. Because if you're not checking these systems and you're seeing, you know, traffic tank off, but you're checking it once a month during your monthly reporting, you know, you're become very reactionary rather than being proactive in terms of either preventing a problem or addressing it or just continuing to improve a website's performance. Um, the rest of my day is typically just working with prospective clients. So right now I'm on seven different clients with nine different projects. And, you know, that they, it entails a lot because every single one of the clients I work with, with the exception of maybe one or two of them, are all in different verticals. Um, some are e-commerce, some are healthcare, some are educational, some are software, um, some are real estate, some are hospitality. So they're all over the place. But it's really just kind of digging in and working with the teams that work on each client to develop the overall strategy that we're putting together and then putting together the recommendation and working with the client or the dev team or both, depending on it's a third party agency, to then get some of those things done. Or it's trying to do those things ourselves if we have the opportunity to do so. Um, I have some clients where I have CMS access and I'm digging in trying to do it myself. How do you balance all of those clients and all of those projects, right? How do you keep it all straight? They're all different industries. Yeah, you know, it's, it's sort of funny because time management is just, to me, one of the most important skills. I think it's personally one that I'm, I'm good at. You know, everyone has a threshold of when it becomes too much. But like, I, it, to me, it kind of goes back to when I was in college and I was working 40 hours full-time um, you know, at my prior agency. I was a full-time college student taking a full course load and I was an RA. So you have to balance all those things because every single one has requirements, time you know, requirements as well, you know, restraints around what you can do and when. And it taught me very quickly the ability to just kind of keep track of everything. So I often have checklists that I'm working with. Um, Wonderlist is an awesome app that I use to kind of keep track of to-dos that I need to use. Um, at Search Discovery, I also use a program called Mavenlink, which has, acts as a task tracker. And I often put tasks in there, just kind of noting when something needs to get done and being able to prioritize a task effectively. Um, but I also kind of look at my week in general. My client calls for the most part are spread out and structured in a way that I can say, you know, I have client X, Y, and Z on a Wednesday. And, 
you know, the, the two to four days ahead of time of that client, I, we are finalizing all of the recommendations that we're talking about, putting together the call agenda and making sure everyone's on the same page about what we're trying to do. What do you love about the industry? You know, the big thing that always interested me with SEO is the fact that it's constantly changing. Um, you, you know, look at how things have changed over the last couple of years. Look at how even right now with Google, you've got, you know, Danny Sullivan and Mueller and Isles that are all in some ways somewhat contradicting the things that Matt Cutts was saying a couple of years ago. They contradict and each other sometimes. They contradict each other at the same time because sometimes you get something that, that Mueller is saying that Isles completely contradicts, you know, 20 minutes later. It's usually longer than that. Maybe it's maybe exaggerating, but... That, that just happens so frequently that it just kind of keeps you on your toes. You're not living in that kind of Groundhog's Day moment of every single day you come in and you're doing the exact same thing and you're filling out your TPS spreadsheets and forms and, you know, you're moving on with your day and then going home. You know, there's so much constantly changing, whether it be structured data or new forms of building sites like, you know, the JavaScript-based frameworks and Angular and things like that, that it just kind of keeps you on your toes and keeps it entertaining versus getting boring. What do you hate about the industry? I would say that same thing. It's sort of a double-edged sword because I've had <laughs> situations before where I was working with a client to get structured data on their site for the longest time. And at the time, Google was recommending using photo as the element for a local business schema. And, you know, it was six months to try and get that structured data on the site. And we get it live on their site and two weeks later, they make it so that photo is no longer an accepted field and it now has to be image. And I'm just kind of sitting there going like, all right, this is one time I really wish y'all did not just completely change your guidelines with no warnings. Um, I'd say the other thing, just to give an extra nugget there is, you know, there, you as an SEO are trying to add in, especially technical requirements and, or even content requirements that require some form of dev work you are trying to get your recommendations and your changes in place on the site while working with a dev team who are doing a million other things. So you're often finding that the things that you're trying to do on a site are often deprioritized because holiday is coming and we need to make sure the site's stable. Or, you know, this, uh, this urgent item has come up that we need to get in place on the site. And it's just sort of funny because when we do eventually get those stories in place, and it takes two to three months for Google to really fully understand what it is that you did, then you start seeing impacts in, in traffic and revenue and you're going up. And you just kind of sit there and wish you had that in place three months earlier when the original plan was. This, this, I just had this happen today. This thing that you're deprioritizing, I know you're focused on holiday. It's coming, right? Winter is coming. But uh, let me tell you something. SEO can help make your numbers look better during holiday. Right. And you have to implement it now, uh, September, October, for it to have a, a tangible impact. And uh, people, a lot of people, again, it's just they want to put it on the back burner and say, we'll deal with that in Q1, right, when we've got oh, time. Right. But then in Q1, something else comes up. So it's, I feel like it's almost an exercise in the psychology of how do you get people to do uh, what you need them to do. And sometimes it's not always easy. And I feel like we spend a lot of time, you know, not just crafting great recommendations, but also figuring out how to get people to actually ex first accept that they're a good idea. And, yeah. and second, uh, get them on the site and get them right. on the site 
in an accurate way, <laughs> which yeah, doesn't and, always and happen it, either. <laughs> and it becomes a challenge too, because a lot of the times you're working with people that are asking, well, what's the ROI on this? And you know, when you're in paid search, you have a lot more ability to basically say, if I increase ad spend by X, and if I do this tactic, I can get a Y return on ad spend and return your investment tenfold, fifteenfold, whatever it might be. Whereas SEO, there are so many factors at play that you like, you know, you get a story and it's, you know, I want to add structured data to the site. All right, what's, what's this gonna do to the bottom line? Let me just let me just rain man all those numbers and take two to the tenth power and I'll I'll right. figure out what that little robots.txt change exactly is going to bring you in terms of dollars in. Never easy. Right. No, it's never easy. You know, you start to try and figure out ways to make it work. Uh, if we did this, it would move this from position eight to position five. This would result in X percent increase in click through rate. You try to start doing the math, but it still is it's it's a guessing game. Um, Usually we're close, but there are times where you're not. No, not even in the ballpark. <laughs> nope. So, last question in this in this segment. Um, everybody, everybody starts with somebody else. There's somebody that came before them who helps them to get where they are. And not talking about life mentors. Who who's your SEO mentor? Who mm -hmm. taught you the most? I've got two people. And I'm going to be honest with you because I'm probably breaking, I'm probably breaking your question. Um, one is a guy named John Sherrod. Um, he was the director of SEO and the lead of SEO at Search Discovery for, I, I think, going on seven or eight years. And, um, you know, he was the person that brought me into Search Discovery, and I learned the most from him. He was someone that was in the industry for you know, a couple, a couple of decades, close to, I think close to 20 years. Since and just has, right. And just had so much experience there. And I learned so much from working with him because, you know, he gave me the opportunity to work with things like various site migrations and major um, clients that are enterprise level and different situations. And he was always someone I could go and bounce an idea off of. So I learned a lot from him in terms of the overall technique. And I learned a lot from him from the technical side of things because he used to be an ex-developer, and that's kind of where he started getting into SEO. And it was really easy to kind of go and learn from him and pick his brain and, and you know, be more proficient in different topics. And the other person to me is, is Jeff Luella, who currently we work with at Search Discovery. And Jeff joined SDI maybe about a year or so after I joined. I think it was 2015. And Jeff was a very, you know, technical-focused guy. Um, he was building all these amazing tools and still is. And, you know, he was doing all these awesome things and building these processes and building these checklists that for me being a process oriented guy, you know, I was talking about some of the site release stuff I was doing before and whatnot, you know, him coming in, I learned so much about how to do different things, not only the technical side, but just to be more efficient in the day to day things that I do. Um, you know, trying to learn things like scraping a site to, pull down content and data to be able to audit it and, and, and view it more easily. Um, so it was just really great to learn a lot from both of those folks. And, you know, I'll even throw another one out there in, in Wade Saunders, who's also another coworker, where, you know, he's taught me a lot about SEO and I've worked with him on projects almost for the five years I've been here now that I've learned a lot from him in terms of different ways to think about SEO and different perspectives and different tools and the, 
kind of getting out of the technical niche because, you know, I am a technical focused guy, but, you know, leaning more on the content side of things, leaning more on the local side of things, you know, I wouldn't be able to do that if it wasn't for Wade kind of continuing to keep those things in mind and teach me about them. Um, you know, of course, there's mentors outside of the people I work with, too. You know, you have the folks that are the big names in the industries. You know, you've got the folks at Google, the, the Mueller, the Isles. Um, always kind of looked up with Danny Sullivan, Barry Schwartz, uh, David Mim, you know, a couple of the large names in the industry, and just kind of uh, tracking them and tracking the impact that they have on the industry and the news that they bring. Yeah, abs absolutely. And um, I would say before I was really in agency, those are, are definitely the types of folks that I looked up to as well. Rand uh, Bishkin, who was my Rand, first interview, um, yeah. he produced great content. Um, more recently, uh, really liked the stuff Brian Dean, also our coworker's name, uh, but really liked the stuff that Brian yeah. Dean, not our coworker, uh, has, been, has been doing. Yeah, in yeah. And then uh, never met John, have worked with Wade for, for a couple of months and can definitely uh, testify. He's super, super smart and super experienced. Worked with Jeff at Rosetta. So um, I, I've, uh, I've seen Jeff operate in the wild uh, quite a bit. And he is one of the um, smartest, almost mad scientist-like uh, with his technical SEO and his ability to kind of put things together that you would never, and build things that you would never uh, never expect or never know that it could even be possible. So definitely one right. of the um, smartest technical SEOs that I've ever met. So, Couldn't agree more. And that's the thing is I do have to give a shout out to Rand because in all honesty, if it wasn't for Moz and the 101 guy and that kind yep. of information, I, I don't think I would have gotten into the career with, to get to the point where I am today without that information. So, yeah, you kind of made um, SEO, SEO cool. I don't know if that was his right. intention, but it, uh, SEO, when I started, it was kind of a, and not that it's not cool now, but I didn't know that it could be a career and when I was starting, I was like, this is really, this is cool stuff, being able to do things to a website, whether it be with content or the, the, the way that the site is built and you get more traffic, that's, that's cool. And not a lot of people at that time uh, were doing it. And even now, in 2018, you still can't really go to college to be an SEO, which is amazing. Yeah. So like basically anybody in the industry, theoretically in five or 10 years when when uh, when the colleges start catching up, if those are even things anymore, <laughs> anymore, yeah. they're, they're becoming obsolete themselves. Uh, people right. in the industry today literally could teach SEO, which is an amazing, amazing thought. So it, it's sort of funny because that's the thing is, I went to Emory University and at the time, they, like I said, they didn't have anything SEO related. It was entirely more traditional based marketing or marketing analytics. And, you know, more recently, I, in three out of the last five years, I've actually gone back and lectured on SEO 101 for Emory. They now have a digital marketing and analytics course, but they don't spend a ton of time on those kind of fields because, you know, you and I have both been in the industry for, I think, combined over 20 years. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you kind of look at it going like, it's really tough to distill that down into a semester-long course. And even more so, when I was doing it, you know, last month at the most recent time, trying to distill that down into an hour PowerPoint too. Um, yeah. You know, you leave so much out of, out of the mix and it's tough to really equate out to like all the basic practices and how that transforms into what we actually do and the results that drives. Yeah, yeah. It's like uh, playing Tecmo Bowl uh, with your four plays 
and now playing Madden where you could literally read defenses, set hot reads. Yep. You've got a full playbook of like 500 plays, right? Yeah, kind of like that. You're giving them the four-play version uh, of SEO, and it just doesn't do it justice. Part two, making your bones. You got to make your bones, Zach. Drop, drop a knowledge bomb. Tell me something that I didn't know. Tell, tell the people. You didn't know. Maybe, maybe. Okay, maybe, maybe I'll know this, but maybe not. I, I don't claim to be the smartest person, (laughs) the smartest person in the room, nor the best SEO. Um, So tell people who might be getting into the industry, give them a knowledge bomb, something that they might not think about in their day to day that has really worked well for you. Yeah, you know, I, I think it's. Always be open to trying new things. You know, in the industry, when, when you start hearing rumors of new ways of doing something, um, just ways of doing things better, try and take advantage of those things and play with it. I would say that where I really gotten in my career was a, a really big side effect of me trying the new things that I'm constantly seeing. Um, you know, we were very early pioneers of not only structured data, but of structured data through JSON-LD. And, you know, I started spending nights, you know, outside of normal work hours, just learning how to code in JSON and learning how to put together these scripts that we could take advantage of and try and be on the cutting edge of things. And as a result, we have been. I mean, you know, we've been way ahead of the game on it. Um, Is that really a knowledge bomb in general? No, but I would say it's something that I think people just – if you're going to get into SEO, you need to be willing to try and change and adapt. You cannot be stuck in your ways because with the way SEO changes, five years from now, if you haven't changed the way that you're looking at something or approaching it, you are doing a disservice to your clients. You are doing a disservice to yourself. So, so what are you going to be trying soon? What's coming to a theater near, near Zach? Hmm. The big thing I'm getting into more so is local because we work with a lot of brick and mortar based clients. Obviously local is not a new concept. Um, but I think this is something that Wade and I have been talking about a lot lately. You know, I mentioned in the last segment was getting Google is getting away from kind of the listing distribution aspect of things. It is still a relevant part, you know, don't get me wrong, but they're starting to focus more on the reputation side of things. And if you have a client that's a brick and mortar based business and they're getting two star reviews, but now that's suddenly the most glaring, straightforward thing that you see in a Google My Business listing for an account. If you're not taking care of that, then you are really hurting yourself. Um, you know, I, sat in a, I was in a conference yesterday around content and social marketing, and one of the most interesting things to me was I sat in a Facebook uh, session where they were talking about for every piece of negative content you have in Google's algorithm, it cancels out a hundred pieces of good feedback or, you know, good emotion or good reaction to, a, to your page or to your posts. And it, to me, it's almost the same thing with Google, because if you're not focusing on that, if, you, if you're getting those two star reviews, you can have the greatest website in the world. You can have the greatest content. You can have the most optimized local profiles, 
But if you don't care what your customers are saying about you, you're not going to be around in five years to, to care anymore. So yeah. if, if you don't care now, you're just missing out. You're, you're doing yourself that disservice. Yeah. And that's just good business advice, right? Right. Just good business advice. And I feel like SEO, people, people think of it in a very narrow silo. And over the course of time, it has branched out to touch on many, many things, technical, yep. content, international, local, uh, reputation management, right? You wouldn't typically think that your SEO is looking at something like that. But when you begin to think how this can impact you from an organic search standpoint, about time to get that, uh, that bad review ad uh, addressed in some way, shape, or form uh, because search engines aren't just moving into plain X's and O's. They're moving into what's going on in the real world and trying to translate that back into their search result. And, and that's yeah. really what you have to think of. And what we're thinking about more broadly than SEO is, is more holistic marketing. That's really what SEO is turned into. Yeah, and I mean, and the other thing I'll throw out there too is just voice search. Um, you know, mm -hmm. it's it's necessary to start thinking about the foreground of some of these things. Again, that session I was at yesterday or that conference I was at, just some amazing stats that I was hearing. You know, by 2020, 50% of all searches will be voice. You know, 55% of, of households by 2022 in the United States, we're talking 850 million people at that point, mm -hmm. will have some form of smart speaker. If you're not making your site functional enough to be in voice search or to show up effectively within voice search, you're already behind the eight ball um, yeah. to the point that where people are searching differently. Most of the requests to things like Google Home um, are expressed in natural language. You're not searching in keywords that you, like you were you know, 10 years ago. You know, you're asking more question-based things. What are the, what's the best Italian restaurant near me? type of thing Near versus me. like Italian restaurant Atlanta. Like, you know, you're not, you're not doing that as much anymore. You're starting to speak in that more natural tone. And if your website's not geared towards that, you're just not going to perform when that becomes a major focus. Yeah. And uh, speaking of dropping, dropping knowledge bombs and trying uh, new things. Um, one of the things that I'm personally interested in getting into is not just structured data, we do that all the time, but specifically speakable. Um, there's an attribute within, I believe it's the web page uh, schema uh, called speakable that allows you to uh, mark up certain lines of text or dialogue in your website and say, hey, Google, hey, search engine, uh, we want this to be speakable text. So definitely interested in seeing kind of what happens when we get that implemented. Uh, on some client client websites and kind of seeing the the ramifications of that. Yeah, the other big part is question schema too. You know, yeah. as, as more Q and A questions come out there, like if you have an FAQ, you need to be using question schema. Yeah, and just in general, you can find a place to use it. So, what's in your what's in your tool belt? What tools do you like? Hmm. So it's kind of a cop out answer, but Screen Frog is of course one of my my favorite tools. Um, just to be able to fully digest the site, crawl it, identify big areas of opportunity, but even just testing things, um, going through and I need to test redirect mapping or, you know, I need to see if any pages are linking to URL X, Y, and Z. Um, site bulb is one I've been experimenting with. Yeah, and I was really going to say, I had a, had a little bird on my shoulder telling me you were thinking about cheating on screaming frog with site bulb. 
So here's the thing with Sightbolt. I've had some problems lately, and I think Screaming Frog's getting better. The latest version that they're on is much better than what it used to be, where some of the more JavaScript framework-based sites that, that we've been working with are sites that were just really heavy in JavaScript and Ajax. We're, we're struggling with Screaming Frog, and it was not really picking up the content all that well, regardless of the settings you tried. Whereas I stuck it in Sightbulb, and really without having to do a ton of tweaking to the settings, was able to get the tool through the site with no problem. So I see it more as a supplement and not a replacement yet. The thing with Sightbulb is it's, for lack of better words, prettier. It's got a more user-friendly interface, whereas Screaming Frog makes you do more of the work, makes you really dig into the data. And I'm a data guy, so I do love Screaming Frog for that sense, but it's nice to be able to fully get through a site in the event that Screaming Frog for some reason couldn't do it. It's a very rare, but it happens. Yeah. Um, you know, some of the other ones I really love, just in the realm of auditing and crawling, uh, Deep Crawl is amazing. Again, kind of falls more into that beautified interfa interface that Screaming Frog has. It gives you similar information and data, but great when you're trying to audit a website and really trying to identify what those opportunities are. Um, SEM Rush is one that I absolutely love for a variety of reasons, whether it be auditing a site, competitive insights, performance insights, content insights. Um, now they're getting into backlinking more so and, you know, toxicity and those types of things. Um, Ahrefs is one I've always been passionate fan of. You know, I am definitely an Ahrefs fanboy in that sense. Oh yeah, Back when I, I, six or seven years, well, I guess six years ago, I was working with a client that got a backlink penalty. And if it wasn't for Ahrefs and the data that I was getting out of it, I would not have been able to get that penalty removed. It was a client that came to us with a, a massive backlink penalty and just trying to find all the links that I needed to clean up and disavow would not have been possible if I was relying on just Google Search Console's, you know, link domains report alone. Mm -hmm. uh, so definitely extremely valuable just to get the greater picture there. They're kind of trying to become more SEM rushes. They're trying to compete with each other at this point and having more of the competitive research, keyword research, paid research, and all these types of things now. Um, I like to stick with what each tool knows best. So, so, so let me tell you a story about Ahrefs in particular. Um, I wrote an article on my blog uh, maybe three years ago, and a uh, big, big list of tools, tools that I use, best tools, whatever. And at that point in time, um, the last time that I had used Ahrefs, it was just a link tool, right? That's, and that's where they started out. That's, that's where they originally kind of made, made, their, made their bones, right? And... Um, I made the mistake of calling it just that and saying, eh, this tool's not that great, but it's good for links. And Tim Sulo, who I believe is the head of, uh, head of marketing over there, actually personally reached out to me and gave me, um, it, it was pretty cryptic, gave me, a, said, hey, I think you're a little bit wrong. I think we've come a long way and gave me a free, uh, free six-month license to just go and kind of test drive. And once I got into that tool, I kind of just like fell in love with it. <laughs> yeah. And it uh, great it's such a great tool and they're always doing, doing new things. And um, boy, was I, was I, I couldn't have been more wrong about that tool and it has become um, so much more. And uh, no, this podcast not sponsored by Ahrefs. Tim Sulo did not tell me to say that they're making a great tool. And it's actually interesting that I just interviewed Rand because one of the things he talks about in his book, Lost and Founder, 
is Moz and Moz, which it's still one of the, the most prominent tools in the industry, but it's been passed up when it comes yeah. to an enterprise level tool and Ahrefs and SEMrush are two tools uh, specifically mentioned that have, um, that have kind of passed, passed Moz up in terms of just the, the quality uh, of what they're, what they're delivering. So um, definitely love Ahrefs. Yeah, 100%, because I mean, I've been using Ahrefs, I think the first time I logged into it was 2012, and I've seen how they've grown and changed over time, mm -hmm. and I still love the tool today. Um, I am sort of stuck in my ways, you know, like I said before, you're not supposed to do that, but you know, I've been using ASCM Rush just as long, and in different yeah. ways that they've grown a long way too. They too. So yeah, to yeah, me, absolutely. it's great to have all these fantastic tools with all these great features and be able to just leverage all of them. Um, so Best advice to somebody who's brand new to the industry? Have patience. Um, here's the thing. If you're getting an SEO and you've never done it before, you are not going to learn everything overnight. Soak up the knowledge of the people around you over time and just put yourselves in those situations where you can learn new things and try new things. And it's okay to fail, um, but learn from those around you. But the patience part, comes in two, in two ways. One is the learning side of things and making sure you're patient there. Two is when you're actually executing against SEO. One of the biggest things, like I, we mentioned before, is you develop these recommendations, you provide it to a client, and you've got to get into a queue of 200 other stories that are either you, your team, another team, the dev team, the marketing team. All these things need to get implemented. And don't have the general expectation that you submit a story and it's going to be implemented the next day. Now, yeah. there are companies that do that. I certainly worked with a client where we gave them an entire technical and they had the whole thing knocked out in three weeks. Um, but I've also worked with clients where, you know, there are stories that have been outstanding for three to five years. And yeah. it's a milestone when you can get those things complete. So don't expect that, you know, you can come up with the greatest idea in the world. You can have all the proof to back it up. It, it may not get implemented quickly and don't let that get you down from coming up with more new ideas. Yeah, absolutely. And I certainly personally can attest to the patience aspect. It's something I know that I, I struggle with. Um, it's the same thing. It's the, um, Me as well. deliver like what you think is the greatest and most impactful recommendation ever. And you're super passionate about it. And, um, Unfortunately, it's got to get in line, so you've got to hurry up and wait, and, and that can take an extreme amount of patience, and sometimes I struggle with it, and I think the other thing that I struggle with is empathy, empathy with what the client or uh, what the person implementing it is going through, because if I'm sending a recommendation, they're probably getting eight other people who are probably even more important than me. Um, sending them through, do this, do this, do this. And I think right. sometimes I know I personally struggle to empathize with that other person, or I assume, oh my gosh, they're, those people are not as smart as me, right? And I think that's the other thing. Don't ever assume that somebody that you're working with is not as smart as you or don't, doesn't know as much. And maybe they do, maybe they don't. Um, but I think if SEOs can get into the trap of if they haven't implemented my recommendation, then they must just not know what they're talking about. They must be idiots. And no, it's probably not that. Um, it's probably just that they've got a ton of other stuff going on. And while I want this stuff to help them because I know that it can help their business, um, it's just got to get in line and you have to be patient. So that's uh, great advice.
Yeah, it's sort of funny because I've worked with a client once where they gave me full access to their ticketing system. They're like, oh, you had the tickets, you prioritize them and we'll get them in the queue. And like, you know, this is me initially ongoing like, hey, this structured data thing is the highest priority thing that we can have you do right now. And I'm marking it as a high priority item, a very high priority item in their system. Then they reserve high priority for things like the site is dead or a server <laughs> is dead. And I'm sitting there and they're like, they're, they're like joking with me, but like, at the same time, it's like, all right, I gotta, I, I gotta rethink through this. That it's not just me in this world that I have to work with other groups of people to get these things in place. Yeah, maybe it was a little bit of a hazing ritual that they made you go through. Watch what the new guy does. Right. You know, laughing in the background. What an idiot. <laughs> so. Yeah, wouldn't surprise me. Part three, getting made. So last uh, segment, getting made. So in order to, uh, to get made into the page uh, two podcast family, we've got to get a little bit personal. So right. Zach, what don't people know about you besides the fact that you're drinking whiskey? Right now. Yes. <laughs> right now. <laughs> um, the people that are really close to me start to know these things, but I, I often don't. I don't publicize it as a ton. Um, I am, I am very into cars. Uh, really? you know, people that, that get very close to me, you know, start to realize that a little bit more so, but, um, I've been driving all of, I guess now 11 years, it was 10 years. Um, I've had over a dozen cars in the 10 oh. years. Um, I am very terrible at holding onto a car, but I love cars. I love going for a drive. I love the concept of them. I just love, working with them in that sense. I'm not a mechanic by any means, but like anything about, about cars, I absolutely love. Um, my first car was actually, I drove a snowplow truck for two years while living in the Northeast. With and the snowplow on? With the snowplow on. I was, wow. making, I was making money on that. Um, so it was, it was a nice little feature, but like, you know, I had this little Toyota pickup truck with a snowplow on it. Um, at the time, the house I lived in had a downhill sloping quarter mile long driveway. Uh, if you didn't have a snowplow on that thing, you were shoveling for a couple hours. Who, so, who would have ever thought that somebody in SEO today used to be a snowplow driver? Crazy. Yeah, I, I, I've, I've been around career-wise a little bit, <laughs> and, and so, even in the time I've been around. Yeah. What other cars? What's your favorite car? <sighs> favorite car that I don't own right now is either an Aston Martin DB5. I'm a big James Bond fan. Um, so I love that car from Goldfinger. It's been featured in other James Bond movies, but I love that car. Um, or honestly, a Toyota Supra. Again, kind of going back towards movies. One of the, the first car-related movies I remember seeing was the original Fast and the Furious. So this might date me a little bit because I think that came out in 2000. You're so and, old. I know, yeah. I and was in college I, when that came out. <laughs> I, I was a little 10. No, not oh, probably. Um, but like, I just remember seeing, you know, Paul Walker at the time in that bright orange Supra. And I can't say the bright orange would do anything for me, but I just fell in love with that car. 
and I'm waiting for the new one to come out and I'll be putting a deposit on it the second I can. So I'm excited for that one because it's actually supposedly going to be affordable, at least the new version of it. So like basically I'm, I am in no way, shape or form a car guy and, and with respect to fixing things and or driving cars, I am one of the least manly people that you could possibly imagine. Now on the flip side of that with like liking sports, super manly, like athletic, those type, like I grew up with an athletic background, very, very manly with that, can't change the oil in my car. So like <laughs> you could be saying Aston Martin and Ford and like those both sound great, great, great to me. I have no <laughs> idea the difference between, between them, but I know a true gearhead would punch me right in the face. In fairness, in your defense, at one point they were the same company. So you have that going for you. Didn't know that. That's lucky. So movies, you sound like a movie buff. So one of, one of the things that I want to ask everybody, because I also am a movie buff and I love The Office and one of the games in one of the famous episodes that they played is called Desert Island Movies. So you've got five. These are the five movies that you'll be listening to for the rest of your life when you're stranded on a desert island. Go. All right. So I got to start with The Godfather. Don't say Legally uh, Blonde. <laughs> gonna have to cross Legally Blonde off my list. Sorry. All right. But uh, I got to say The Godfather. Um, yes. I remember as a, I wouldn't say as a kid, but I mean, I was old enough and mature enough to watch the movie. I was maybe... 11 or 12 when I started watching it. And my dad used to love these movies. Um, I actually remember him getting him the box set for him when I first came out on DVD. It's like That's a, a good son right there. Yeah. And I just remember sitting there and watching that movie and just being captivated with it. So much so that, again, eh, probably might date me, might not, but like my AOL Instant Messenger screen name was Corleone and like nice. my birthday at the end of it. And I still use that screen name a lot to this day on different things. Um, but I would say that's got to be on the list. I, I guess I maybe have to throw in Godfather 2, but I'm going to leave that out for right now. I would say Goldfinger. Like I said, I'm a big James Bond guy. I've always loved that movie. Um, so many pieces about it have always kind of been up that, that alley for me. And wait, um, Goldfinger is Pierce, Pierce Brosnan, right? Goldfinger is Sean Connery. Oh, wait. The, um, I'm thinking of the video game. I'm thinking of GoldenEye. Goldeneye. All right. See that? I have no idea. I, I'm, I, like the, I like the Bond movies, but I'm not into the historical Bond movies. But I know people are very passionate about the different Bonds, kind of like the different Doctor Whos. So, like, who's your best yes. Bond? Ooh. Um, I would say Sean Connery is number one. Daniel Craig for me is two. I would put Roger Moore at three. I put Brosnan at four. And then the other actors that have did, like, two or three movies. Um, and, and I, I, I would say Goldfinger was was Goldfinger Connery. Goldfinger was Connery. Gold, Goldfinger oh, yeah. was the fourth movie that was made. No, it's not the third movie that was made. Um, it was Doctor No from Russia with Love. Goldfinger, but that that was made in sixty four or sixty five. I think it was sixty four. Came out in sixty five, I believe. Um, absolutely loved that movie. I remember watching that a lot with my dad growing up. Um, Golden Eye was James Bond with Pierce Brosnan's first movie in the mid '90s. Okay, yeah, I remember that. I was I was yeah. a kid. Uh, so, so the only thing I rem I, I now I I know Sean Connery right. Um, but the biggest thing that I think of when I think of Sean Connery is the Saturday Night Live skit with Alex Trebek. Oh yes, suck it, Trebek. 
<laughs> yes. I absolutely love that. Yeah, I grew up watching. Oh, man. Back when it used to be good. I'm not a big fan anymore, honestly. Nah. So, so uh, we've, got the, we've got the Godfather. We've got uh, Goldfinger. Goldfinger. You got three more. Rest of your life. All right. Um, it's probably stupid, but Super Troopers, one. Super Troopers, one. The second one was good, but Super Troopers, one. Absolutely always watched that movie. I've seen it a ton. I okay. feel like it's one of those movies I can literally watch once a week and not really get sick of it. Yeah. Um, well, that's the point. Yeah. Right. That's the thing. It's like, I, I want a movie that I'm not going to hate. Another one I would throw in that realm is Office, office Space. I've already made a T-Post oh, yeah. reference yes. tonight. Yes. Um, but that's another one where like, I, could, I could throw that on every little once in a while and just kind of you know, enjoy that. Uh, go ahead and come in on Saturday. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I've been meaning to pick up a swing line stapler for you. That's right. I need one for the office. So number five, um, what's your last one? Number five, and I, and I think it kind of alluded to it before, but I'm, I mean, I'm a car guy. You could give me any movie that has a car chase scene, and then I'd be, I'd be happy about it. But like I said, the, the, the first Fast and the Furious movie, just with the cars that were in it, and the story sucked. I mean, I, I won't lie about it. They've certainly gotten, I don't know if I would say better. They've gotten more interesting lately. Um, but like the car culture that was in that, it's borderline tied to me with Gone in 60 Seconds. Just for the cars. That movie, that movie wasn't, it was all right. But the cars in it were great. So I guess I would go with Fast and the Furious, the first one, just because the impact it had on me from a car culture standpoint. All right. All right. So... What's on your, I don't know, like people use, the, the kids use different apps these days. So I, I didn't want to say like, what's on your Spotify because maybe that's, uh, maybe that's old news. What's on your quote unquote generic music app right now? What are you listening to? Well, and here's the part where I might start to date myself a little bit. Yes. I might listen to records, but I don't use any music apps. Um, yes. I, I still like to own my music. I actually have my iTunes library up next to me right now. Um, I still buy CDs. I actually have one came today. And wow. all of that still goes into my it's iTunes library. It syncs with my phone. Yeah, but like, that's the thing is iTunes Music, Spotify, all these things, they don't do a ton for me because I actually like to have my music at any time and not deal with you know, those kinds of situations and the, the subscriptions and things like that. Um, as far as the things I'm listening to, so I am all over the place. I... Grew up listening to a lot of Sinatra, Bobby Darin, oh, yeah. uh, Dean Martin. Um, so those are kind of my go-to when I just need something to, to play in the background or to enjoy. Or I'm sitting out back on the patio with a nice glass of scotch kind of music. Um, you know, grew up listening to that with my dad and, and definitely had a major impact on me with that. I actually, my mom once told me that, you know, coming home from the hospital, my dad was playing Frank Sinatra in the car with, you know, me and my mom in the backseat with me as a little baby. So I like your dad. Uh, <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> um, Never met right him. Now, all right. I am all over the place. So that's the thing is that I love the classical kind of music. I really will listen to anything. I'm not big on rap, but my big thing right now is I, I, I love rock music. Um, okay. Classic rock and modern rock. The big ones I'm into right now is Shinedown. I'm a big fan of Shinedown. Disturbed. It's a little heavier, but it's the album that I actually just got today. It's their brand new album that came out on Friday. Um, loving it already. I've already been through it a couple times since it showed up this afternoon. Um, 
five finger death punch again on the heavier side, but like a lot of a, a lot of good music out of them. Um, but then, like I said, it's kind of all over the place. I have an '80s playlist that I love going through. I've been listening to that all weekend. Um, similar, I've got a '90s playlist. The '80s playlist and the Sinatra stuff almost kind of comical. Again, maybe it kind of ages me up a little bit because I was born in '91. Um, but I love uh, '80s music for some reason. That makes me uh, feel so awful. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I like you know Sinatra, Bobby Darin. You know, we're talking anywhere from the late '40s through. I guess 80s. 60s, count 70s, some. yeah. 60s, 70s. I'll count some of Sinatra's later stuff in the 80s. 50s um, is like the golden age. Yeah, oh, 50s is definitely the golden oh, age. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, I guess one movie I left off the list, but I guess I'm already past that is... Nope, uh, you don't get any more, but you can yeah. say it anyways. I'll say like the Bobby Darren story or the, the um, Kevin Spacey, I guess maybe that's not the right thing to say these days, but the Beyond the Sea movie that he did, um, I, I, I will give him one thing. He is a talented singer because he sang that entire soundtrack for Beyond the Sea, um, doing Bobby Darin songs, and it was beyond amazing. I actually wow. still have that soundtrack. It's amazing to listen to. Cool. So, so Zach, want to thank you for your time. Um, yeah. Great discussion, great answers. Where can people find you? Uh, I would say the best two things would be Twitter or LinkedIn. Um, Twitter is at Zach Chehalis, Z-A-C-H-C-H-A-H-A-L-I-S, um, or hit me up on LinkedIn as well. Um, usually like to share out news articles, updates, things like that on both platforms. Awesome. Thanks, uh, thanks Zach. And uh, yeah, good discussion. Yeah, thank you. Thank you for having me. Thank you for watching the Page 2 Podcast. If you like this podcast, you can support this show by tapping the link in this episode's description or visit anchor.fm forward slash page 2 podcast to become a monthly supporter. That's anchor.fm forward slash page, the number 2, podcast. You can also listen on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, SoundCloud, and more. Follow me on Twitter at Jacob Stoops. Thanks again, everybody, and see you next episode.